feel like we're ready to sing that one with the angels in heaven. <laughs> Sounded good. Hey, Amen. Thank you, team. Did they do a great job this morning? Amen. Don't forget your tea. <laughs> if, uh, if this is your first time here, you're actually dropping in on the end of a series that we've been going through over the last... Uh, it's the fifth week now, called Make, The Making of a Disciple. And we're talking about what does it mean to be a disciple? This is a word that we use in church an awful lot. Uh, Jesus himself said to go and make disciples. And so what does it look like for us to be disciples? How do we make disciples? What does this look like in our life? And so we're wrapping this up this morning. Before I continue with my sermon, though, I just want to give you a heads up. Talked about it last week. After I'm done with the sermon this morning, the t- team's going to come back up here and they're going to lead you in worship. And then Devin's going to be coming up after they're done, give you instructions on how we're going to continue the service over into the fellowship hall for the baptism. So it's not over then. It's not over when they're done singing. It's going to continue over there. We'll be dismissed from over there this morning. But we're going to be finishing up with this series. I'm so excited for what the Lord wants us to hear this morning. One of the phrases I've used, I'm not going to have it up here on the screen this morning, but one of the things that really transformed my life in this area of disciple-making, this idea of being a church that's a culture of disciple-making, was a quote by a guy named Mike Breen that said that if you just focus on building the church, you not necessarily are always going to get disciples. Just doing church itself isn't going to guarantee that you're going to make disciples. But if you focus your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and all that we do on making disciples, obeying what Jesus commanded us to do as a church, the outflow of that is the church. It's naturally going to happen. We make disciples, we're going to get a church. We're going to get something that's here to glorify God, that's going to point people to him, that's going to reach people for him. And so we want to be a church that makes disciples. As we continue with this, though, this morning, um, would you open up your scriptures with, with me as we read? Um, I'm, we're going to read Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, starting at verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11. If you don't have your scripture with you, I'm going to read it out loud, and it'll be up on the screen a little bit later, but I just want us to read over God's word together as we get started this morning. Ephesians 4, starting at verse 11. I'm going to go down to verse 16. Paul writes to a church in Ephesus these words, and he himself, that's Jesus, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love by proper working of each individual part. So what God's wanted to talk to us this morning and share with us. Bow in prayer with me if you would. Heavenly Father, we are so, we're so humbled by your greatness. And it's our desire that all the world would sing how great you are. 
Holy Spirit, I am so aware of your presence in this place this morning. And I would just ask that you would open hearts, that you would awaken minds, that we wouldn't allow this this crisp October morning to lull us into a place of spiritual slumber. No, Lord, I would just ask your Holy Spirit right now, even as I'm praying to you, would just stir each and every one of us up, awaken our hearts and our minds and our ears for what you want to share this morning. Lord, may you be glorified in this place. Use me. Use me, Holy Spirit, to speak your word. Allow these words to fall on ears and hearts that are ready to receive them so that when we leave here, we're changed. We're changed by your power. So Sunday informs our Monday that this isn't just a moment where I transfer information, Lord, but this is a moment where lives are transformed by your power and your strength. We give this time to you even as we give our very selves. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Are you ready for this? A couple weeks ago, I was in this training uh, for pastors where we talked about the reproduction habits of elephants and rabbits. Now, if this is your first time here, you're like, this just got weird. <laughs> it's about to get weirder. <laughs> just kidding. Now, here's, here's, the thing. here's the thing that I learned, okay? If you take two elephants, a boy and a girl, obviously, and you put them in close proximity to one another for a year, and you leave them alone, and you come back a year later, you know how many elephants you have? No, three. Yeah, you have a boy and a girl, you put them in close proximity to one another for a year, you get three. Yeah. Kids, your parents can explain this to you later. Parents, you're welcome. Um, (laughs) But you know what happens? If you take two rabbits, a boy and a girl, you stick them in close proximity to one another for an entire year, and then you come back, you know how many rabbits you may have? You could have up to 200,000. Now, I'm not sure if that's true, but I think it's because other rabbits multiply with other rabbits and so on and so forth. And here's the point of all of this, okay? Whether it's true or not, this is the point that the guy who was training pastors was trying to make. He said, pastors, what kind of Christians, what kind of disciples are you making in your church? Are you making elephants or rabbits? He wasn't talking about reproduction of children, he was talking about reproduction of disciples. Because here's the thing, a lot of churches, we have elephants. We have a lot of elephant Christians. But if you've been tracking with us for four weeks, we're called to be rabbits. We're called to be these, these Christians, these disciples that are just absolutely obsessed with making more and more disciples. Isn't that what Jesus called us to? Isn't that what he asked the church to do, is to be like rabbits? Because it's just very natural from the beginning of Matthew 28 when Jesus sent us out that we were to go and make disciples. To be a disciple means that you multiply. You multiply yourself. And I don't know if we really know what that means. I don't know if we're really sure. Some of us, I think, are probably afraid of that. But God said through his son Jesus that his way to grow the church, to reach the world with this good news that God himself came to earth as a man, lived a perfect life, died a death for all of us, rose again three days later, defeating death and sin. That this message 
This message that changes our lives, changes, has the power to change a human heart. This message is supposed to be spread through us, multiplying ourselves in the lives of those who do not yet know Jesus. And this is not new. This is a Jesus thing. This was also the main message, one of the main thrusts of a guy named Paul. A guy named Paul who was a Pharisee who wrote over probably close to two-thirds of our New Testament. A guy named Paul who went all over the Mediterranean Rim and planted churches and multiplied himself and leaders, whether men or women, all over so that the church would spread, so that the world would come to know who Jesus was. One of the people that he multiplied himself in was a guy named Timothy. Did you ever hear of him? Yeah. We actually have a letter from Paul to Timothy that he wrote to Timothy when he was a young man, probably even younger than me, believe it or not, when he was pastoring what many scholars believe to be the first megachurch in the church history, a church in Ephesus. And he was pastoring this church, and Paul wrote him a letter because they couldn't text or FaceTime at that time. And he said to Timothy these words about this idea of multiplying yourself. This is what Paul said to Timothy. He said, in the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust them to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. He says, Timothy, the things you've heard me say, the things that I've taught about following Jesus, about reaching new people for Jesus, how to follow and walk after Jesus, the things that I taught that you heard me say that I actually heard from the other 12 apostles, the things that Jesus had actually taught, the things that I transferred to you because Jesus transferred them to his 12 and the 12 transferred them to me and now I'm transferring them to you. I want you to take that and not just hold it for yourself. I want you to pass that on to other people who will be able to teach others. This is what I want you to do. You, Pastor Timothy, this is your purpose as you pastor this church. And it's not just Paul and Timothy. Though it's very clear that the disciples, the, the elders of the churches, the pastors in the New Testament, especially in the, in the uh, first century, these pastors knew, these elders knew, these leaders knew that they were supposed to multiply themselves in other leaders. Paul also wanted us to be sure that we knew that even if you weren't called to be a leader in that way in the church, that you were called to multiply yourself in others to be a disciple who makes disciples. Because not only do we have a letter that he wrote to the pastor, Timothy, but we have another letter, a letter he wrote to the church, a letter that was read out loud to the church so that they would all be able to hear what Paul was telling them. And we have that letter too. It's called the book of Ephesians. It's in our scripture. And we just read it together. So let's turn there now. Let's go to Ephesians chapter four and see what Paul says to the church that Timothy's pastoring. He says this, In Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, he says this, and he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. See, what Paul is saying, and what we're gonna get to here in just a second, is that in the first century for Paul, this guy who was planning all these churches, and for Timothy, the pastor, he was telling this church that the purpose of a pastor is not to be a CEO over an organization. 
The purpose of a pastor is to equip the people that are in the church, the people that God brings to faith, so that they would be able to make disciples. And listen, I know some of you have heard this before. I do. But don't check out, because you know why? I wouldn't have to preach this if the church was doing it. But this is what he says. It's not up to the pastor. In fact, a church is stronger. A church, a body, the body of Christ is stronger when every person is equipped for the ministry that the Holy Spirit has given them and operating in that. That's what he says. The saints aren't like, you know, if there's some Catholic people in the audience this morning, you know, the saints aren't, you know, those saints from, from those things. The saints in this, in this conversation here is just Christians, people that have put their trust in Jesus. What he's saying, I, I want you to understand this, that the, t- the leaders of the church were given to the church, Big C Church, to equip all of the people in the church for the work of the ministry. What is the ministry? It's the ministry to the gospel. It's the service to the gospel. My purpose as pastor is to make sure that each and every person in this church, whether through myself or through the ways that we do things as a church, that you are equipped through how our church does church so that you know what ministry, what gift, what skill, what place God has given you through the power of his Holy Spirit that's residing in you so that you can serve the gospel of Jesus Christ so that you can be part of what God has called us to as the church to make disciples. That's what he says. Now, here's what Christian excuses are that I hear so often when I invite people to do this. I hear people say, well, that's what we pay you for. I've heard that. I have. That's what we pay you for. That's your job. Or I don't feel called to that. You know, Pastor... I just don't feel called to that, or I have too much on my plate. If you, had a, if you knew what my schedule was, you'd know that I have too much on my plate right now to do anything for you. I don't have time to invest in other people. It's not where I'm at in my life. Maybe some other time, but not right now. Or here's another good one I love. I don't know enough. I'm not qualified. And you know what? I don't blame people that feel that way sometimes because I think the church, the big C church, has made it sometimes a culture where we believe that somehow pastors like me or some superhuman Christian that is just has this qualification to lead people to Jesus. If you think that of me, oh, I feel sorry for you because I'm not. I'm a guy filled by the same Holy Spirit you are who happens to be called by him to serve in this role, but he's called you to a work in the ministry too. And guess what? Here's a little secret between you and me. There's things that he's given you as gifts that I can't do. Yeah. Did you ever think of that? And if you don't do them, they won't be present here because they weren't given to Dan. That's what he's saying. I've also heard people say, I have too many issues on my own. I got to get everything figured out. Once I get my life in order, once I'm no longer a mess, then I'll start investing in the ministry of the church. Because if you knew how much of a mess I was, you wouldn't want me to be in ministry. Now, listen, it's not like I'm saying that every person in the church is going to be up here speaking next week. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that I have a role, I have a call from God to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And here's what Paul says, especially about that, I don't think I'm ready yet thing. This is what he says in his letter. He goes on. 
You're, I'm supposed to, the, the leaders in the church are supposed to equip the saints for the work of the ministry until, we're going to keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it until we reach all unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. Until we reach all unity. Until we're completely unified, we're supposed to keep doing it. Not only that, but we're supposed to do it until we grow into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. Church, do we understand what that's saying? Like, that means that the the leaders in the church are supposed to equip you for the work of the ministry until all of us are completely unified, until all of us are grown up into full maturity. And you know what the measurement of maturity is? Jesus. That that doesn't mean we ever take a break as far as I can tell. (laughs) Unless somebody else thinks they're there yet. This is what we're supposed to do. This is the purpose of the church. And when it comes to thinking, when it comes to thinking about, you know, well, I'm not good enough. I don't, I don't know how to do this. I don't know enough. I, I haven't read enough of the Bible, or I'm not sure how I plug into all of this. Listen, if you don't feel that you're equipped to do this, that's what we're supposed to be doing. But if you feel like you're not going to, you have to wait till you arrive to begin to take part in this fun that God has given us to reach new people. Look what Paul says. He says that growing into the maturity measured by the stature of, stature of Christ's fullness is the end goal. So if you don't feel like you're equipped to do it, know this, that you will never before you start serving in ministry feel equipped. In fact, you won't arrive to the measure of Christ's fullness until you start doing ministry. You see that? Because it's being equipped for the work of the ministry and getting involved and using your gifts that God's given you to be part of the ministry to the gospel that actually gets you to the place where you grow in maturity. He goes on and he talks about this growing immaturity. Paul says this, Then you will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. What Paul's saying is there's people out there, there's teachings out there that can blow you off course. And if you don't know how you, if you're not growing into fullness, into maturity, you can be blown off course by just the wrong teacher or the wrong way. And this is crazy to me. The one way that you can actually make sure this doesn't happen is being involved in ministry. Because as you are putting, as you're spending time with the Lord and you're putting what God is doing in you into practice and serving and reaching others for the gospel, you grow into maturity and it actually works as a way for you not to fall into the deceit from other people. It actually, you won't be tossed around by little children. The writer of Hebrews actually is a little frustrated by this at one point because in, in Hebrews 5, he writes about this. He says, you all are like little children. You're all drinking milk, and by now, you should be eating solid food. Check it out when you get home today, Hebrews 5. He's basically saying, if you've been a Christian for a little bit, you should be growing into maturity to the place where you're able to move into solid food. And you know how you move into solid food? You get involved in ministry. You move from being an infant to moving into maturity in your faith. This isn't what Dan's saying. This is what Paul's saying to a church in Ephesus. And he goes on and he says this. By speaking the truth in love, let us grow. There it is again. In every way into him who is the head, Christ. Let's do this. For, For in him the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body 
for the building up of itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. See, Paul's saying that the pastor, the leaders in the church, aren't the primary minister. Their primary role is the equipper. And you know who the ministers are? You. And you know what? If you're not effective in your ministry, in being disciples who make disciples, if you're not effective rabbits, you know what that means? I'm not doing what God called me to do as pastor because God's called me to equip you to do that. This is how, I don't see how the scripture gives me any other way out of it. Do you? This is what he says. Paul says, it's your job to do the ministry. It's my job to equip us. And look what he's saying here. He's saying that as we do this, every supporting ligament, talking about the church as a body, is fit together, grown together, and that it promotes the growth of the body, building itself up in love by the proper working out of each individual part. Paul is saying that a healthy church is a church where it's being equipped. A healthy church is a church where everyone is serving in their place in ministry. A healthy church grows. And I'm going to ruffle some feathers by saying this, but I truly believe that if a church isn't growing by number, it is not healthy. And that doesn't make me a church growth pastor. That makes me a biblical pastor. Because that is what we are called to do, to make more disciples, to reach people for Jesus. And this church our church is just like every other church that God has called to do this, to be a place where people are equipped for their place in the body so that we're stronger, that we're growing up into the ind- each individual part working together until we meet the fullness of who it is to be Jesus. That's what we're called to do. That's what it means to be a disciple. It's what Ephesians tells us about being a disciple. And this isn't just in scripture. I think one of the coolest things I came across this week that kind of illustrates this this point is uh, this story about this place called newpedia.com. Anybody ever hear of newpedia? How many people have heard of newpedia? Nobody. There's a reason for that. In 1999, a guy named Jimmy Wales and another guy named Larry Sanger got together and they said, we're going to replace the Encyclopedia Britannica. You know, remember those guys that came around to your house and they talked you into buying like, you know, the 40 books that you could like throw at your sister and they'd heard them. And, and then nobody, you bought them and you stuck them on your shelf and you were like, we have an encyclopedia. Our family is equipped. And then nobody ever opened them. You know what I'm talking about? And then you bought them, you sold them at a yard sale four years later. So they decided we're going to get rid of these because of the internet and we're going to have the encyclopedia on the internet. We're going to call it Newpedia. And what we're going to do is we're going to have experts Trained experts, doctors, lawyers, pastors, people like that that are going to submit articles about things that people want to know about to the internet. And we're going to have this huge vetting process to make sure everything's right, everything's perfect, that everything's right up to where it should be. And we're going to make sure that we do this and then we're going to put them up on the internet and people can have their encyclopedia on the internet for free. And it's all going to be expert knowledge. And you know how many articles they had at the end of their first year? They had 21. 21 articles. It was a failing enterprise. They didn't even have a little over 200 articles at the end of their four years. So you know what they did? They scrapped it because they said that was a terrible idea. 
And so then they started a brand new thing in 2003, and they called it Wikipedia. Has everybody ever heard of Wikipedia? Yeah. And you know what they said about Wikipedia? Is they said, we're going to have normal, everyday people who are passionate about an area of interest post things. And we're going to have a very small vetting process. And we're just going to put things immediately up on the web. And other people can speak into the process and work together to make the articles better. And we're going to inform people through Wikipedia. And you know what this new model had within its first month? 200 articles. At this point in time, they had about 20,000 articles their first year, and at this point in time, almost 200, I'm sorry, 20 million articles are on Wikipedia. Because they realized that if you have the experts running everything, that nothing's going to grow. Newpedia versus Wikipedia. See, Paul knew this. Jesus knew this. He knew that this is the way that we have a multiplication happening in the church. The way that we have people become rabbits is we have to have a system where people are released to live out their ministry for Jesus. Let me show you one more more quick illustration. Say there's a guy named Billy, and Billy's an amazing evangelist. And he preaches, and he holds these crusades, and all these people come to them, and people are saved by the thousands. Every single week, right? And so Billy preaches to thousands of people. You know how long it would be for Billy to reach the entire world in a frozen population with the gospel of Jesus? 15,000 years in a frozen population. And you know how many of them would be able to be fully devoted disciples who would be able to go and teach others also? Be able to multiply themselves? Not very many. But so, let's look at the principle of multiplication. What Paul said, say there's a guy named Paul, and he takes a guy named Timothy, and for one year, he works with Timothy, and everything God's taught him, he teaches to Timothy, until Timothy's fully devoted to follower of Jesus. And then after that year, Timothy goes and finds somebody else to invest in, and Paul finds somebody else. And for the next year, they invest in them until they're fully devoted. And then the next year, they find somebody else, and so now they're all investing in one person, and because they know the truth that there's going to be always somebody further behind them in the faith than they are. And they invest in those people until those people are fully devoted followers of Jesus, and then they release them to go meet other people. You with me? And goes on and on and on until the world is made, made new through the power of Jesus Christ, till we have disciples making disciples, till we have rabbits all over the place. In a frozen population, you know how long it would be to reach the entire population of the world this way? 37 years. It's been 2,000 since Jesus went to heaven. We're not doing this right. And as a church, we need to move towards what God has called us to do, to be disciples who make disciples. And Jesus' mindset was on this from the beginning. Jesus was all about multiplication. When he called his first disciples, he said, go and be fishers of men. When he talked about the church, he talked about the church being a place that would day by day take more ground for the kingdom of God, moving closer and closer. When he commissioned the disciples, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, every race, every ethnicity, it's just moving forward. He prepared the disciples. He said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to empower you to do ministry, to witness about this good news to the entire world. 
When he talked about his parables, Jesus talked about just one more, reaching the one more lost. He talked about a lost sheep. There was 99 who the shepherd left for the one. When he talked about the son, he said that there was a son. And the son went away and he squandered everything that his father gave him. And he took it and he trashed it all. And he lived a worldly life. And he had a complete ruin. And you know what Luke says in Luke 15? My favorite verse in the Bible. He says that while the son was still a long way off, the father ran to him. Why? Because the father wants one more. That's what God was always about. That's what Jesus was always about. Just the one more. That's the heart of a multiplicator. That's one more household. When is it going to take the Christians in this world to get it? One more household. One more neighborhood. One more teenager. One more addict. One more person in need of healing. One more town that needs saved. One more nation that needs to come to Christ. One more you is the reason you're here. And God is calling us to be a church that would realize that God wants to multiply himself through you. And this isn't work. This is the greatest thing ever. This is an invitation to live a life of fullness for God. And he says that we're never going to reach fullness of unity. We're never going to reach the fullness of what it means to be followers of Jesus until we all are invested in a heart of one more. That's what he says. And so as we talk about what it means to be a disciple, as we've talked about this, I've shared with you over the past few weeks that God's calling us all to pursue a life with God. These three relationships that Jesus had. And that we pursue a life with God daily. And so we want to have a church. I want us to have a church where people walk into this place and they feel the power of God in this place because we all are doing life with God and he is present. But not only that, but I want to be a church where when we leave here, we know how to do our life with God. And every minute and every day, we're doing life with God. And not only that, but we know how to invite other people that don't know how to do a life with God and show them how we do our life with God, how we read the word, how we pray so that they would come to know the life with God. That we would be a church where we truly took life together seriously, where we were a family that was invested in one another, where everyone was maybe not known by everyone, but everyone was known by somebody so that you could be in life with one another. And that when you met somebody out in the world that doesn't know Jesus yet, you could invite them into life together with you so that they would come to meet other disciples. Wouldn't it be awesome if our small groups were the primary place where we invited people to church? So that people would come to know people in a life together with them before we even walk them into this place because they've never known Jesus. A life together. And then we said, God's calling us to pursue this third relationship that Jesus had, a life on mission, where we seek the people of peace in our lives that are open to the gospel and asking them to come and follow him. And that when we find them as we live our life on mission, we invite them into life together with us. And then we point them to a life with God because in that place is the only place they'll find life. This is what God's calling us to do, to be a church that pursues life on mission, goes on mission trips, sends missionaries. But then we also feel like every single week, every single day, we are sent from this place after we've met together to go on mission to make more disciples, to find that one more because each and every one of you in this place knows who that one more that God's calling you to reach. And his heart is one more. What if we were a church that embraced the multiplication mindset? What if we were a church that sought with everything we are to do life with God, life together, and life on mission?
and invite people to be part of it? What if we were a church that said, you know what, healthy things grow and we're never going to get to where God called us to until we start, every one of us, being equipped and operating in ministry? What would our church look like then? How many baptisms would we do then? What if Paul Myra Grace Church was a place where we just help people pursue life? Life with God, life together, and life on mission where we realize these three relationships that Jesus has called us to, three relationships that he pursued, is what our purpose is in this world. What if your pastor's passion, which it is, was to equip you to be a disciple who makes disciples so that we can grow into the fullness of who Jesus is and we can reach the world for him, even if it's just our world in Palmyra. Folks, there's plenty of one mores that are waiting to meet him. And they're not going to hear from me. The principle of multiplication says they may only hear it from you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the power of Jesus, his ministry on this earth. Lord, I thank you that you've given a ministry to each and every one of us and that through the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer in this place, there is a ministry that makes this church stronger, makes this church better, a ministry that I could never do. And if we would just all be released and equipped to fill that ministry and fulfill our ministry, that we would be a church unstoppable for the kingdom. Lord, there is one more in each and every life represented in this church today. There are people in this church today that maybe are the one more, and right now you are on their heart, and you are saying, my heart as your Father in heaven, even though you do not know me yet, is that you would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior because I died on a Roman cross for you, and on the other end of you surrendering your life to me is life abundant, is life to the fullest, and I will take you however you are, but I won't leave you there because I want to transform your life forever. There's somebody in this church today that needs to hear that. There's somebody in your life, Lord, and in our life, each and every one of our lives, Lord, that needs to hear that. So, Lord, give us the power, give us the strength, give us the courage to be disciples who make disciples. Give us the wisdom on how to be a church that helps people pursue life on mission, helps people pursue life together, helps people pursue a life with you. Because that's the only place where we'll truly find life. We love you, Lord. We thank you for loving us first. It's in your son Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.